Post Super Bowl Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can follow me at Dan Urban MMA. You can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges. And you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you're listening on Apple or wherever you're able to rate the show, if you give us that five-star review, we would appreciate it. And we talk about MMA judging, so you should learn the criteria, which can be found at abcboxing.com. Dan, obviously, we're recording this just, uh, maybe not obviously, we're recording this just a couple hours after the uh, the end of the Super Bowl, in which I predicted the final total of the Buccaneers' uh, points, but I didn't think they'd win, so didn't really matter. <laughs> wow, you thought it was going to be that high score? Well, I, I actually had it at a 34-31 final. Wow. So I, I got 31 for the Bucks, and uh, I missed a little bit on the Chiefs. Yeah, well, there was a thrashing that was happening. That's true. That's true. We're, we're not a Super Bowl show. We're not a football show. But we will have a little bit of Super Bowl chit-chat at the end uh, once we've gone through the main course of the show, which is, of course, dissecting what happened at Saturday's UFC action at the uh, at the Apex. Oh, yeah. That was that was a pretty fun card. Yeah, it had, it had its moments. I, I think there was a bit of a lull in the uh, in the middle of the prelims, I would say, where it kind of wasn't, wasn't the most engaging as far as just being a fun fight card to watch but it, it, it certainly had shining moments and that was really cool you always you, you got to appreciate what you get oh yeah they, usually you're not going to get a top to bottom card like we did at the end of last year that's true that one was pretty epic you, you get spoiled by cards like that and i i think solid card overall for sure but you know let's i think we should just start you know, just talk a little bit about what the fallout from uh the, the top two fights of this card the, obviously the, the two biggest attractions on the card uh and that was in the headliner alexander volkov just completely lighting up uh, an Alistair Overeem who, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen him aging, but he looked old. Yeah, he uh, kind of seemed like he didn't want to be there at times. He was, he was, well, he if I was really getting hit that the... much by uh, Alexander Volkov, I wouldn't want to be there either. Yeah, I, I think he probably wanted to have more offense than he did. <laughs> Fair to say, <laughs> yeah. sir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dan Urban, everybody, with, with the deep dive. There's a John Madden in all of us. <laughs> but but uh i mean to your point I, I understand what you're saying i i i think he never really allowed himself to get going in any meaningful way um and oftentimes we've seen that in, in overeem fights where he'll, he'll kind of allow somebody to to dictate it he's not necessarily going to hard charge you he's not a bull um but usually someone's going to come at him enough that he's able to you know counter and, and deliver some of those excellent pinpoint shots that he's been able to do as, as an accomplished kickboxer who's obviously accomplished in MMA too. But, you know, even when the shots were firing back, he only shelled up at the fence. You didn't see him do anything after. It's a really strange strategy in MMA to just shell up because the gloves aren't the same size you, you have in kickboxing where he's made it work. I mean, well, maybe he hasn't always made it work, but he's definitely worked with that. Right. As you know, a handicap, if you want to call it for a while. I mean, it's, it's obviously something he probably, kind of carried over from his kickboxing days. And, and he, I think he's been able to make it work. There's that fun gif from the Roy Nelson fight where Roy Nelson has him the, at the, against the fence. Have you seen this one? Uh, or did you remember this fight maybe where Roy's got him pinned up against the fence, just like we see and, and Overeem's just shelled up and Roy Nelson literally just gets confused and doesn't know what to do. So he just leads on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. He, right. There's a good gif that was circling around just this past weekend. Cause I forgot about that fight. Uh, and I didn't remember that particular thing, but if I find that, I'll share it with you. 
Yeah, that that that's an interesting strategy. I'm gonna stop and hitting. Obviously, him. didn't pay off here. Uh, I mean, Volkov but, you know, wasn't I, gonna stop hitting him. What what I was struck by most with Volkov, Dan. I don't know if this was how you felt too. And and they commented on, on the broadcast. This isn't an in, in uh, original thought necessarily of mine. It was just the fact that he put on all this size and he really looked bigger. He looked like a monster. And I, to be honest, I didn't know he was six foot seven. I always knew he was six seven, but he. I, I always thought of him as you know a little leaner. Um, that's I wouldn't ever call called him skinny. He was six seven, two forty five, and, and a lot of muscle. So this wasn't a, a small man by any stretch. But now he looks he looks a little more filled out. Um, and, and I think he owed that to what happened with blades. Yeah, well, size will definitely help not help you not get taken down at, at sometimes. But mm, all these yeah, guys at heavyweight are defense, pretty of course, big. But that, uh, maybe that's why that I didn't realize how tall he was. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to talk over you. You continue. Maybe that's why I didn't realize how tall he was because he was on his back the whole time against Blades. Uh, it's possible, except I, for the, in the so. end when Blades was just too tired. But, you know, that is something that's a little surprising is that we didn't see any other dimension of Overeem come out in, in any way. Like, even when he started getting in trouble, like, you would think, I mean, this is someone who, it's not like he's a pure kickboxer. He's been in MMA for, I mean, he had his first fights in the 90s. When I spoke to him, the other day, he, we were talking about that a little bit, and you know, he's how he's been in the game for so long. He's picked up enough, so it was a little surprising to see him just completely not even engage in another realm when he was obviously not doing well in the kickboxing. Yeah, maybe I don't think he really had a chance to do. I suppose not. To I mean, do anything like that, he, he was just kind of getting beat up everywhere, and the shots he did land didn't seem to be all that good, really. Yeah, like I said, I think he just he looked old. He actually just looked old. Like, and I, I thought that might have he been a slip age. at the end of the ra- the first round, but the way he fought yeah, after I, that, I, I totally disagree. Now, yeah, I mean, look, it actually could have been a slip, but it also could have been a slip that also included uh, a decent punch in there. You know? Yeah, uh, he, he did get. He does did that get actually smacked. count as a knockdown? Probably, but when you know when you actually get down to it, but was he like sent to the mat? Yeah, that's that's where it's debatable. But who cares? That's just that's just like, like a way yeah. you classify it, you know. But I mean, so I don't, I, I wouldn't mind if Alice Alistair walked away after this fight. He's not gonna walk away. Uh, of course he's not. Um, <laughs> but as far as Volkov goes, I mean, he, I could totally see him giving Nganu a run for the belt. I can totally see him giving Stipe a run. I just don't know if he's well, the one with the belt for sure. Right? Yeah, and I don't know if he can. I just don't know if he can get to that fight unless it's his next that's fight. The, yeah, I don't think he's going to – Was it It might have been Ariel Hawani who put this one out in the spear, and, and I actually agreed with it. It was uh, Volkov against the winner of Rosenstrike and Cyril Gunn uh, okay. Gain. Uh, I'm always going to say his name wrong because I've, I've heard it several ways, but I think it's Cyril Gain. And, yeah, I think, I think the winner of that fight makes a lot of sense for Volkov because you can't have – I don't think it would be fair to have him leapfrog blades, although, you know. UFC's done stuff like that before, and they may again. But I, I think it would be um, more merit based if he had to run through at least that direction. Let Blades get the the winner of whoever the next fight is. Unless John, jo- I mean John Jones, you don't have to like it, but he can walk in and get the title shot if he wants. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I think Volkov, depending how Jones fights that fight, it's a new division, so I, I see Jones not trying to toy with his opponents like he like he has at two oh five. I think at, at heavyweight he's going to go in there and try to be the Jones of old and do what but he's can good he at. Be the Jones of old, that's a question. I, and I, you know, yeah. we're getting pretty tangential at that point talking about John Jones. But yeah, I do wonder if I, I've had this debate thinking about him 
you know, when, when his name comes in my head as far as you know, what he what he is a fighting at, at heavyweight and that kind of thing. I still think he walks in and is a beast. He, you know, he probably could go in and win the championship for all I know. But right, I agree. He, he doesn't will. seem the same fighter. And I think it's not just a mentality. I think there's probably at least some sort of erosion in his skills from all the time of his career. You know, he's we've known about him since 2008, 2009. That's, That's true. a long time. It's true. It's a long time. And he had a lot of title fights. He had some he had some pretty good wars in there, too. So potentially he was bored at that division. It is possible. It is possible, but I, I'm not ready to just dismiss him, miss any of his, um, you know, more lackluster efforts in recent years to just that. I don't know. That's but yeah, I mean, nonetheless, Volkov looks terrific, and I like the way he's going to be moving forward. I think if he can stop that takedown, he could be somebody who could actually reign over the heavyweight division for a little bit. It, it potentially, re- yeah. It really depends if he can stop the takedown. And and don't let uh, Derek Lewis get his hands on him at the end of the third <laughs> round again. Yeah, that was that was something. But uh, what about the what about the co-main? The co-main. I mean, what more do we have to say? I don't think we can say too much without <laughs> outpacing the length of this fight, which was twenty eight seconds. Sanhagen was fantastic in that in that flying knee he put out there. There wasn't much to this fight. It was just it was the knee. Best knockout. Uh, that beat Buckley's knockout. That beat Masvidal's knockout. That beat Kevin Holland's knockout. I think it beat Masvidal's knockout as a better flying knee. I think there's recency bias with everything else. I think you could just lump it in there and say, but, and, and, you know, at that point you can just kind of take your pick of what you prefer. But I mean, it was amazing. And the, the way Frankie fell and, you know, it seems like he's a relatively okay. So I, I feel more comfortable talking about it like that, but that was kind of scary. That was when scary he fell like that. Yeah. Just whenever you, whenever you have those slow plan. falls like that, you're always a little concerned with it. And then, you know, it's easier to laugh once you say, Oh, oh everybody's okay now. Yeah. But, Credit yeah, to Frankie. Nobody wants to be victimized like that. He went out there for the 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 announcement. He did. So, I haven't seen if he made any uh, statements on in, uh, social media today or not. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Um, but yeah, obviously he's gonna be smart today, just from pride perspective, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and, but that was quite a shot. And you know, the funny thing was uh, when I talked to San Hagen the other day for uh, for a story I wrote for the Post, he was saying, you know, I really don't put a lot of pepper behind my shots, and like very purposefully doesn't do that. But I mean, when he explodes. He's amazing. That was a that was a crazy knee. And this followed up. Don't forget, Dan. Like one of the, I think this was a knockout that really kind of went completely under the radar last year. But it was so fantastic. The one that he, because it, it was technically it was a TKO, and I think we sometimes look dismissively at TKOs. But when he finished off Marais, Marlon Marais. Yeah, that was. Do you remember too. that I, that yeah. spinning kick? Yeah, Marais. I was mean, hurt. that was it. Was a thing of beauty. He, he yeah, Marais was hurt from that. He rolled backwards. I don't think he probably knew where he was. To, Good stoppage there. Uh, but he's he's got this big kind win. of finishing ability even when he's not trying to just, like, put everything into it, which, I mean, yeah, if you, if you do a flying knee, you're not not putting it into it. But he doesn't a he pres- doesn't seem to overextend himself is, I think, what he meant by not putting a lot of pepper behind. Yeah, I mean, O'Malley and him, they're, they're two guys, you know, that pride themselves on their accuracy and their precision of their shots over the power in their shot, I guess. Sure. But as, at this point, San Hagen seems a lot easier to root for as a person. I, I, I don't want to get tangential I, yeah, too not, much on on that, but yeah, yeah he, I he's. Mean, yeah, I mean, having spoken to him myself too, he seems a little more grounded. I'm struggling with the other guy right now. Um, but as far as San Hagen goes, if he gets the winner of Jan and Sterling, I'm all for it. I do not want to see T.J. Dillashaw get an immediate title shot. He's not John Jones, <laughs> who can walk in off suspension and get a, a title shot again. Oh, 100% agree. And I and I think you can very easily sell 
Sanhagen as the next challenger too. I, I feel like Dana Dana White would have to probably agree that like you look at that and you put on a performance like that, 30-second KO, something that you can put in a highlight reel over someone like Frankie Edgar. It's a very easy sell. Oh, I think a totally. lot of people probably, you know, uh, MMA memory is pretty short. It's oh yeah, it's, it's very short. that people have already in some ways moved on from TJ. I have. I, I mean, the guy's a cheater. I, I've so... certainly in, emotionally moved on from him. Yeah, I mean, you did Epo. That's as a very purposeful cheat. So hey, I mean, I I don't think he deserves a, a title shot right away. No, certainly not. Give, give hey, him the, you know what? Give him the loser, Jan and, and Sterling. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think that'd be fair. I think that's actually a really good booking. I like that, Dan. So. I'm, you're you're, yeah. uh, you're replacing McMaynard now. I okay, alrighty. Mm-hmm. No offense, no offense to Mick. I don't I don't know him, so. But you know, you're better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're well. I, you're my boy. I got you. <laughs> but let's move on. You know, we got we got some rounds here. You know, Couchside Judges. Of course, we talk about some of the contested rounds from the event. We didn't have a ton, but we did have a couple of fights where there were some discrepancies between the way judges saw it. Um, and in some cases, the way people on social media who are, are certainly emotional and, and uh, hyperbolic uh, felt about them. So I think we always try to start with a split decision whenever we can't have one of these because it, it, it only makes sense. Right. So let's start with Benil Dariush getting the split nod over Diego Fajera, 29-28 each way. Yeah, I uh, I thought Benil won this one 30-27, actually. I actually... I believe I did too. I, I'm I'm actually now sort of blanking because I didn't actually put my final score here. But the, oh. we really are only going to talk about round three. Or excuse me, round, round one, one because yeah. that was the split round between the judges, and it was the one that swung the win. Right. Yeah. So, however, we felt judges were unanimous one way. So, you know, I I try at this point in my uh, journey into understanding the way judging works in MMA and the criteria works. I try to put as much trust as I can. When all three judges say one thing, I say, okay, you guys must be right. You know? Yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about round one. And in this round, we had Dariush got two out of three, obviously, because it was the swing uh, for the fight. Dave Hagen and Chris Lee, who were obviously on this fight, they gave it to Dariush. And it was Jaron Vallel, who was on his first Vegas judging assignment. So wel- welcome, uh, welcome to judging in Vegas, Jaron, who is of course a part of Big John McCarthy's command course. So he's certainly not a neophyte to the way judging works. <laughs> he's been training it for a long time. Once COVID ends this year, maybe I'll get to meet him. Maybe you will. And maybe you'll get that, that command course. But it, but Jaron uh, Valel, he gave Fajera the round ten nine, and this fight was definitely one where. A lot of vocal social media reactions thinking this was just absolutely crazy. Let's start with the baseline. Dan, is it crazy to give this round to Diego Fajera? No, not at all. This, I agree. this was a, a close round. I thought it was clear for Dariush, but I mean, if, if someone's going to tell me they scored it for Fajera, uh, I'm not going to argue against them as long as their, their reasoning is sound and in tune with the criteria. Yeah, I mean, I... I also agree. I, I think this was, I would call this round a close but clear, but maybe he had different input being cage side, which is something you always have to factor in. And I can understand why, too, because both of these guys, they had really high spots. Like they each had uh, some excellent work done in this round. Yeah, they, they both landed heavy shots early. Fahara even had an armbar attack uh, pretty early in the round. And they were both landing on the feet. I mean, they both definitely had each other in 
some degree of trouble at one point or another. Now, from sitting at home, I, uh, you know, I'll say this. I thought Darius won the round. I think we, I think we already basically established that saying I might have given all three and I think you did too. So we both landed with uh, the majority judges here, but I just thought that Darius was more consistently landing the highly impactful blows. I thought he got the better overall of the striking. And, you know, obviously there's a, a submission attempt there as well, but I, I definitely felt good about Dariush, but not crazy to go the other way. No, I mean, Dariush did have him hurt the worst of anyone who was hurt in the round with that body shot. You don't necessarily get just but, give the round based right, on that. Right. Exactly. But on the ground, he was landing strong ground and pound when he followed it up to the, uh, after that shot. Really? Did you think Fahir closed I, I, out the round good though? Yes, you finished. Sorry. I'm sorry. You, you go. Fahir made it close the way he closed out the round. Because after he yes, got up from so. that, he landed a front kick to the face. He landed a solid right to the face. It, it it made it closer, but I still thought Darius did more throughout the round to earn it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't think it's uh, I, I don't think it's such a big deal that people were going crazy in, and of course you get the oh Jeremiel, of course it's Jeremiel. It's like what do you mean? Of course it's Jeremiel. <laughs> like you've probably never seen him operate as a judge before. I think he's been a perfectly uh, at the base level, a perfectly fine ref, if not a strong ref. Yeah, he's been he's been fine. I mean, really, people 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 like to invent their little narratives and things based on. Just being, <laughs> they feel wronged because it became a split decision in a fight that realistically was kind of close. It, re- it really was. I mean, I, I heard people already talking about Chris Lee. They were ripping him again on Twitter. I mean, the man. Well, they, what they were doing, they were doing kind of these backhanded compliments. Really? For yeah. Him, which was, which was like, a, well, at least he's, not, yeah, at least it's not Chris uh, or Jared Vallel, you know, makes Chris Lee look better. It's like, f you guys, honestly, f. You. Yeah, I mean. Just, that man, you're, you're, and as and the worst part of it is when you do see that type of mentality come from, you know, media where it's like, come on, if you had a better understanding, if you were actually more in tune with the way it works, like you probably wouldn't go crazy about it. Like you don't have to like it. You you really don't have to like the way it was scored. Like the way I look at it is, I think Darius won that fight. I thought he won a very close but clear fight throughout. But if it went to Fajera, I would have got it. And you can I can understand why it went that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it. If it's different when there's just no way to see it, and I, I think we've spoken about rounds before where we've been a little confused about why a round went that way, and it's fewer and far between than I think a lot of people try to make it out to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Nonetheless, I think this is one that will probably still get dismissed in the long run because the right guy won, and it wasn't. It wasn't absolutely, you know. There's nothing egregious. Nothing agreed. Moving on, though, I, that was really the closest call we had as far as, you know, potentially the fighter that you and I thought should have won not winning. But we did have two rounds that there were discrepancies in an earlier prelim between Sung Woo Choi and Yusuf Zalal, which Choi won 30 to 27 and also 29, 28 times two. But it was different rounds that Zalal won from the two judges that gave him a round. So yeah. let's start with round one, of course. Yeah, round, what do we have here, Dan? round one, I ended up scoring it for Zalal. And I went for Choi, which okay. is where Sal D'Amato and Adelaide Bird went. So you had Junichiro Camillo's back. Yeah, I thought Zalal won this on his jab, really. I thought his jab was very solid. I didn't think Choi landed all that much. I, I know he threw a lot, but I don't think he landed all that much strong strikes. It was close, I for thought, sure. But uh, I, I please, went... Please continue. 
Yeah, Choi landed some. I mean, I didn't think he landed all that much. I just thought Zalal landed better. Close round. The way I saw it is, and, and you know, obviously Zalal was having some some better success earlier on with, with the jab, right, in, in kind of the beginning of the round. I didn't see as much of it in the later round, in the later part of the round, when he started to try and work for that takedown against the fence that wasn't coming. Nothing was happening there. He was not attempting to mix in strikes or anything. And I, I whenever I watch fights now that I think I understand how judging works a little bit better, I'm always like, come on, guys, at least try to mix a punch here and there. And not not only for the sake of maybe you're giving your opponent something to think about, but like it, it, it judges don't just want to see you work for a takedown for five minutes and get nothing out of it. You don't get anything. You don't score. If you're getting punched while you're going for a takedown at the fence and you're not doing anything back, you are losing. Those are called round shorteners. Round shorteners. Yes. Is that your turn? That is my turn. I like that one. Cool. Hold them against the fence, shorten around. That's, there you go. That's pretty much what, it, but what after, it is. But after this round shortening sequence we had, in which Troy was landing a little bit, I thought he was landing some pretty stronger strikes in the latter part of the round. Yeah, he. I mean, he landed a couple good leg kicks and an elbow. I I recall. Yeah, right. I remember an elbow. A good, uh, good elbow standing up. But I didn't. I didn't think it was all that much. I I, I still leaned to, to Zalal. The cage strikes. I, I know you're mentioning. I probably didn't score them as highly as you did. Well, I didn't score them necessarily that high, but I also didn't think the jab was truly as effective a weapon overall compared to the strikes that Troy was landing near the end. Because you do want to go with the the strikes that have the best impact, you know? Right, and I still lean the jabs on those. Ah, that's fair. And, and, you know, this is a discrepancy that obviously was the same between uh, D'Amato Bird and, and Camillo here. Well, let's hope the reasoning's the same way as ours, for our sake. I would think or for it's my probably, sake, at least. I would think it's probably similar. Sure, I don't. I don't see why not. It's it's entirely reasonable for this to go the other way. Uh, from what I saw, I think you probably would say the same. Yeah, yeah, totally. This, I, I got no problem. Someone giving this to Choi. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then round two, of course, went to Choi. But round three, this was where we had a little bit of uh, disagreement again. This time, it was Bird and Camillo who agreed that it was a Choi round in round three, whereas Saldamato. Gave it to Yusuf Zalal. Did you see this one for Zalal? No, I, I went with Choi on this one. I thought, okay. I thought really all Zalal had was that guillotine. Yeah, I think this, honestly, as far as rounds go, I think this one was a little bit of a tougher round for from my perspective, from my seat, uh, my cozy seat at home watching on TV. I thought this was a more difficult round to see the other way than the previous two rounds we've spoken about tonight. Yeah, I thought I thought Choi was just was the better fighter in this round. He landed really good shots, I thought. You'd have to think, and, and I'm speaking for Sal D'Amato, who I don't know what his reasoning would have been for that, but I would think a, the crux of the argument would have to come from that guillotine maybe being tighter, looking tighter from his seat, which is better than ours. I mean, it looked very tight from my seat. I was like, oh, he's going to get this. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, no, I, I thought it was too. But I do think ultimately the rest of the work because it was kind of isolated to that, right? It exactly. can be tough, you know. Do how do you how do you kind of score something like that if you just have one major point that's probably you know the highest point of the round, but everything else goes the other way? It's it's. I feel like it's a tough uh, thing to kind of figure. Yeah, at least from my perspective, yeah, it, it, as it someone is, who's never it trained, is, it is tough. I mean, it's also on on. Uh, on Zalal there, I, I I don't know if he lost a grip or not, but he tried switching from from guillotine to triangle. I, I thought that was a a mistake, unless he lost a grip and then, but I couldn't tell from he my, certainly my might spot. have yeah. So if he didn't lose the grip, I think it was a mistake, but I don't know. 
I mean, it, it, neither here nor there when it comes to the scoring, of oh, course. Yeah, no, of course. But I, so yeah, I, we both had Choi for this one. I gave all three rounds to Choi when I saw this fight. I thought I, I thought this was a close but clear fight for him as well. Yeah, so I got 29-28, only giving him as a round one. I mean, the guy took the fight on, on one week notice, so I don't think he loses too much shine there. No, but I, I believe now that he's down uh, two fights in a row, right? Is it? Zalal, I'm pretty sure he lost okay. his most recent one before this. So, you know, obviously the UFC, from what we can tell, looks um, they, they, look, they look well upon and people who will step up and take fights. It's what they like, someone who they can count on in a pinch when things inevitably do go wrong. And they certainly do, especially right now. But two losses in a row is two losses in a row. He probably doesn't have a, a lot of rope, no, which is unfortunate because sure. I actually thought he had a pretty good start to last year. Well, yeah, people were high on him. I, I still think there's talent there, but yeah, he's obviously just run into a bit of a rough patch. And like you said, he took this one short notice. So, you know, that's tough. Very tough. That's it for the contested rounds though. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we've, we've obviously got um, a couple more rounds, but I think we can spend a little less time on them. Let's start with the, the 10, eight watch rounds though, for this one and start of course with Timur Valiev, who picked up one unanimous 10, eight round in round two in his victory over Martin Day, but he also got a 10-8 from two of three judges in round three. Those judges were Jaron Vallel and Rick Winter, and it was Tony Weeks who was in the minority seeing this as just a 10-9 for Valia. And before we start talking about it, I do want to say when I watched this live, I didn't give any 10-9s. I just wasn't thinking about it like that. I Obviously, I was I was mistaken because when I watched, when I look back and watched that, I like there really just wasn't enough that Martin Day was doing for most of the last 10 minutes of the fight. You mean 10-8. 10-8, yes, thank you. Um. Yeah, so round three, I did score a 10-8 for Valiev. I can totally understand. As under- did I after I rewatched it, and yeah, I decided, honestly, there just wasn't enough Martin Day did. Yeah, I think, I think that helps it go in that favor. I think you can say he checked each D to some degree, some more, th- more so than others, Uh, but really, Day was just non-existent in the round. Yeah. When when you when you're not putting up a bunch of a fight, it's definitely a lot harder to make the argument that you earned the nine. Yeah, he yeah. Did he like that very simple question? Did did Martin Day earn the nine? No, I don't think he did. Yeah, I don't think so either. But also, Valiev really didn't go for it either. No, he so... didn't, and that's where you start to wonder, and and you can at least maybe see the argument for why Tony Weeks didn't go to the extreme uh, the same way that Valel and Winter did. Yeah, I mean, me, me and you not, not egregious. No, I, I can I can understand it. That's fine. But I, I will say, just from having looked at the data uh, that we have, it does seem that among the judges, Tony Weeks has been, um, that is kind of a small sample size. It's really hard to say that this is definitely true, but he does seem to be one of the ones who's been less reluctant than his peers to give out a 10-8. So I don't know, maybe this just plays in, you know, we're speculating when we say this. I want to be clear, we're speculating here, but it. People like to talk about judges having biases and things like that. And I don't think even I don't even think of judge like Tony Weeks, who comes from boxing and who refs boxing. And, and that's really where he came from to get to MMA. I think he's an MMA judge right now. I think we need to accept that Tony Weeks is a solid MMA judge and experienced MMA judge by now. But I think there could be potential, even if it's not from Tony Weeks, for biases towards not giving 10 eights out as much as maybe the peers do. I don't know. Speculation. Well, I want to. I want to be very clear that this is speculation on my part. Well, maybe there's that question that you just posed that I I never really thought of it that way. Did the losing fighter earn themselves a nine? I never thought of it that way. That that I've, kind of I've had 
that perspective posed to me okay. by judges before. Oh, that's interesting. And, and that has been an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I like it. But I don't think that is exactly how they frame right, it. Not, it's yeah, kind of well, one of those things where you can kind of, it's almost like an all-encompassing question, but it requires more. Yeah, it's not. That's that, how I take it. Yeah, that's you're not going to base an entire round on that simple question. Exactly. But uh, it definitely helps draw a distinction, you know? Right. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I think I think we probably exhausted that 10-8 round. Oh, yeah. Obviously, this was a fight that Tamar Valiev just dominated bell to bell. Yeah. It was not a close fight. It was not an interesting fight. Uh, so let's move on to, unfortunately, I didn't think this was a particularly interesting fight either. Lara Procopio getting the unanimous nod over Molly McCann. And we had three different scores in this fight, actually. We had a 29-27, a 29-28, and a 30-27, to all in favor of Procopio. Let's just start with the uh, the 10-8 round here, which was or the potential 10-8 round here. And that was round three. It was Sal D'Amato who went for 10-8 for Procopio, but he was in the minority compared to Chris Lee and Jared Vallel, who went for 10-9 Procopio. What did you say? I thought it was a 10-9. Now, Procopio was in total control this round, but that's that's where my argument is, is she was in control. Was she doing all that much offense while in control? I, I don't think so. I agree. I'm with you. I, I also think this was a 10-9. I, I sided with the majority. Uh, McCann, again, she, she didn't really do much, but in the beginning of the round, she had some offense at least. So, I mean, I think Proc- Procopio had needed to push harder to get my 10-8. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. I I don't really have much more to add, honestly. This this the less okay. fight the the less yeah. said about this particular round <laughs> of the fight, I think, is fine because we didn't go that far, right? Right. Yeah. But we do have one more round from this fight to dissect, and that was round two because again we had three different uh, diverging scores here. And in round two, we had two judges, Damato and Lee, give it to McCann ten nine, but Jaron Vallel gave it to Procopio. Yeah. Honestly, uh, just to kind of cut it off at the chase i didn't see a strong argument for procopio here i do not see a, that strong of an argument for procopio i thought mccann was the offensive fighter procopio may have been on top but she wasn't doing really anything for, even from the yes. bottom mccann was was hitting her with good elbows she had a really strong arm bar attempt which you know procopio had to defend for at least a minute maybe longer i thought it was just yes that was honestly that was easily the the most impactful sequence of the round and it wasn't just a, a brief sequence, like you're saying. It was there was quite a bit going on there. And she actually landed more strikes, too, if you look at the striking numbers, which I should add, as always, <laughs> judges don't have available. For, yeah, they don't have the numbers available. Also, the numbers don't all always mean that much. No, and, and so. they're close, too. Is uh, On total strikes, according to UFC stats, it's 35 for McCann, 27 for Procopio, uh, and, and a significant margin of those were on the ground. And yeah, and to be honest, I didn't, I didn't think they were that strong. No, no. And but again, that I think is why it makes it a lot easier to give this round to McCann because she had a very strong offensive attack in the grappling. She had very strong effective grappling. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's I think it's a much easier round to give to McCann. Yeah. I think this is a harder one uh, from my perspective to defend. I'm I'm curious what the reasoning would be from Jaron Vallel. Again, he teaches this. I I should be very clear. He teaches judges how to score these. So I acknowledge he knows more than me. I mean, Procopio had a so strong takedown. what he would say, because I would love to learn. Yeah, Procopio's takedown before she got put in the armbar was really strong. She just didn't do anything after she got the takedown. Yeah, I, I didn't think her. there was a lot of effective offense coming from the takedown. Mm. So, I mean, 
really... in the end, the right woman won. Procopio yeah. won this this fight, and even though we're actually arguing, Procopio didn't win this round. So, uh, nonetheless, at the end of the day, the judges did in fact get the right winner. I think we would all agree. So, oh, yeah. there's that mm-hmm. for sure. And then the other lightning round, I think I don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time on this one at all. In uh, this was from the main card, Alessandre Pantoja, who's always fun to watch, getting the unanimous nod over Manel Cape. I believe it's Cape. They were saying cop. They, on... I think they were actually they were saying it on the broadcast as cop, but I saw later, and I mean, who knows who's right here unless you hear the man say it. But uh, Aaron Bronstetter, the reporter, he I believe he was saying it's actually Cape. So we need John Anik on I mean, every card. We do need John Anik. <laughs> <laughs> John would set us straight, but really. Manel would really set us straight. So that would be that would be nice and helpful. Uh, but anyway, in this round, uh, in round three of this fight, the first two rounds, I think, inarguably went to Pantoja. Round three is the one that's up for debate. And two out of three judges gave this one to Cape. And that was Chris Lee and Rick Winter with Jared Vallel giving it to Pantoja. Where'd you side? Well, yesterday I gave it to Cape. Today I gave it to Pantoja. Okay, I didn't rewatch this, but I also gave it to Pantoja. So, what does this mean? Couchside override. It's a couchside override. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought he landed harder on the on the second view, and Cape was actually more active this round, uh, which made it closer, I, I guess. Uh, but I just thought Pantoja was more effective. Yeah, I went with the effect too. Um, but it's this isn't this is definitely a, a close round that you know. I hate to use coin toss because it's not a coin toss. No one's sitting there tossing a coin. They're doing their best to scrutinize. But yeah, here, I think I think you can make a good argument either way in a round that truly didn't matter unless it went 10-8 anyway, because all three judges had 20 to 18 in favor of Pantoja coming in. So not that they should be encouraged to slack off or do. I'm not making that accusation, but it just wasn't as important. That's true. <laughs> End of the day, it really just didn't matter that much. You know, they did. The judges actually did get quite a few uh, rounds and fights. Uh, they were all on the same page for. So we'll go into your, our unanimous rounds here. We had 30-27s across the board for Clay Guida over Michael Johnson. Uh, that was that was a good fight for Clay, right? That was a good good Clay fight. I just I wish I I would love uh, to just be educated why round two didn't go to Michael Johnson. Yeah, that's true. I also went thought that that was a round for Michael Johnson. Um, but again. I trust the judge's right. reasoning yeah. here. I, I'm not. I don't think we need to dissect it too much. No, I just. I would um, just like an just a reasoning why, so I could I could see things better. You think they owe it to you, huh? No, no. You I think they owe it to you. I want to learn for myself. No, I don't kid. Carol Hosa, she got the 3027s across the board as well over uh, Jocelyn Edwards, who you liked coming into this one, and and she I did. definitely let I you mean, down. Uh, well, I mean, her grappling needs work, so. It definitely needs work. I, but you know what? She's taking these fights on short notice. She hasn't had a fight with a training camp in the UFC yet. So, you know, maybe give her a shot for that. And yeah. she, I, I like I like her uh, upside here. I actually like what she brings to the table. All so right. I'd be interested to see what she can do uh, with a little extra seasoning uh, in the UFC. And, and again, more preparation. Uh, and then we had a couple. We had three fights that ended in round two. So we just had one round score turned in. That was Devontae Smith. Round two TKO over Justin Janes when it was stopped for uh a puffed up eye puffed up is putting it lightly. Yeah. So that's a, that's a kind way to say it. Everyone gave Smith 10 nines in that one. Danilo Marquez. He got a round two sub over Mike uh, Rodriguez. Everyone had Marquez in round one as well. Yeah. The worst round and, of the entire night. Yeah. That was honestly, that was mostly 
for about nine minutes. That was a pretty awful fight, <laughs> which uh, Dan Stupp, uh, the former editor of The Athletic, and I, we, we've decided this is called a clanger as opposed to a banger. Okay. <laughs> this this was a clanger of a fight until mercilessly it ended. It actually, in some ways, reminds me of you remember when uh, Frank Mir fought Mirko Krokop in the headliner of a pay per view. I I I remember more of the backlash for that fight. Oh, dude, I I was sitting at Applebee's watching this fight, and it was just brutal for fourteen minutes, like almost nothing happening, and then all of a sudden Frank Mir throws. I couldn't even remember the strike. It was such an unmemorable fight, and all of a sudden it's just over. It was like what? Yeah, <laughs> it, we were just we were happy that it was over, but also it came so late that it was like you could have just walked to the end too. Uh, <laughs> it, it, nothing redeemed it. it, it no, yeah. You couldn't do anything to redeem it. And I feel like this was almost similar in some ways, mm-hmm. but uh, at least it was a pretty interesting finish. Um, and then, of course, in the main event, Alexander Volkov, he finished off over him in round two. Over him was able to get through round one, but that one went 10-9 for Volkov. Yeah, well, let's get to the finishes. Yeah, we had some good finishes here. I mean, we already mentioned three of them. Four, really, if you count at the top of the show. But there were five in total. Four KO or TKO. One was a sub. Two were round one uh, KOs. uh, Straight KOs here. What was your favorite? I actually enjoyed the sub. The rear naked choke uh, from Danilo Marquez. did. On Mike Rodriguez. Mercifully ending it for us. Uh Love, you love your Spencer. Subs, Spencer Kite pointed this out that the way Mike Rodriguez went out so fast, you know, Marquez squeeze just has to be on another level. And yeah, oh so, yeah, dude. I mean, he looks really strong, but he was, gosh, he was so patient with that fight, right? Like you didn't even see any urgency for nine minutes in trying to finish it, but he got the opportunity and credit to him. He really took advantage. Yeah, so that that's my favorite. Give us yours, sir. Oh, for me, I mean, it has to be one of the two flash KOs, right? I mean, we we did have the one from Odie Osborne uh, in the opener mm-hmm. that finished. I think it was a 26-second knockout that was very from fast. a guy who, honestly, he looked like he was asleep walking to the cage. I thought he fell asleep while he was walking to the cage. <laughs> and then he put Jerome Rivera to sleep. I think he actually said, who wants to fight for 15 minutes? I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got a nap to take. <laughs> But but honestly, that I mean that was great. I wanted to shout that out. But my favorite was the Sandhagen one. Uh, it was it was scary, uh, but it's one of those ones that once you at least see Frankie get up and and you hear throughout the day he's not you know still sitting in the hospital and everyone's wondering about him. It's much easier to sit there and really truly appreciate the amazing flying knee that came from Sandhagen, who is uh, I think he's just a, a really fantastic striker. I've been high on him for a while. Uh, it was unfortunate to see him have that major setback against uh, Al, um, Aljamain Sterling last year. And you could tell, even when I spoke to him, you could tell he was very, um, he, he doesn't make any excuses for it, but it seems like he embraced it and learned from it. So as, as a young fighter, he's only 28 with, I believe, five or six years in the game. I think there's big things coming from this kid. So oh, For sure, I think so. And now he's got a really nice highlight reel that they can put up for him if he does get to have that title fight next against either Peter Yan or or maybe the rematch against uh little, little Aljamain bit, uh, Sterling. Similar uh to Carlos Condit when he was coming up. You know who's actually a funny comp for for what hap- what's happening here with uh Sanhagen? Aljo. Really? Don't forget Aljo got destroyed by Marlon Moraes. Right. He just got flashed out. He did. But he went back, he clawed back, he fought his way back and and he looks awesome. I I to, 
real quick, I was at Aljo's pro debut in Morristown, New Jersey. That's awesome. And that he, Men in Arena? Men in Arena. All right. And that was That's pretty, where I had my Naga awesome. tournament when I did one Naga tournament. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I finished second place in, in the in the uh in the division, by the way. We're gonna we're quick tangent. I finished second place in my first and only Naga tournament. Uh which one's the lowest? Is it beginner or novice? Novice. Okay, so I was on novice, but I was in a tournament of fourteen and I made it to the finals. And I'm very proud of that. I lost on points, but I did have one guillotine uh Congratulations. If anybody wants to see my guillotine finish and and talk about how crappy my game is, uh, I'll, I'll send you the link. Just just all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you were saying, yeah, that, he he wanted. I think he won a decision that night in his in his debut. But he that sounds he, right. He looked yeah, promising. He was a I former mean, wrestler, and I think a lot of the wrestlers kind of lean on that early on in their careers, mm-hmm, for sure. But he's he's a, a fantastically talented uh, grappler and 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 overall mixed martial artist. So I I would actually be interested to see if Aljo does win the fight against Peter Yan. If they do put Sandhagen and him together again, and I don't know if they would right away. That could be a stumbling block, which Sandhagen himself has admitted. I would be interested to see because I don't think it's going to go the same way. You think Sandhagen would win the rematch? I don't know. No, I, I don't necessarily mean that Sandhagen would definitely win, but I don't think it's just going to be a you know really quick. Aljo gets him against the cage. Aljo gets his back. Sandhagen falls down and and gets himself choked. I don't okay. think it would be remotely like that. I think it would be much more competitive, if nothing else. I think it probably would have been competitive. The first time should have been competitive. I think Sandhagen just got caught. Well, I, do, I mean, I don't know if he got caught necessarily. I mean, he kind of did. He kind of didn't. But it's, it sounds like I'm waffling, and I kind of am. But <laughs> I just think the fight would go much differently. I think it would be a much more interesting fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean... That's not going to happen again, I don't think. But I want waffles now. Um, waffles are good. We did have one other big event this weekend. Which one was that? That was... My this... wife's birthday? It yes. was a nice day. It was, was... We unfortunately didn't get to go out because of the COVID and the snowvid and, and all the oh, other yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, we got a ton more snow today. <laughs> yeah, we did. I was shoveling today. That stunk. Uh, this, the snow itself wasn't so bad, but the end of the driveway snow that the that the plows leave for you yeah. is all soaked and wet and heavy. That's I hated a, yeah, it. That part sucked. But uh, yeah, now obviously we're talking about the Super Bowl, uh, and Tom Brady now has more Super Bowl championship victories than any single team in the NFL, which is just hilarious. That is really crazy. I mean, it's wild. Tom Brady is only second to one, and really, he proved it tonight. So, yeah, he's he's the man. He just is. There's no there's no debate over who's the greatest quarterback or NFL player. I think of all time. Well, no, no. I mean, he he is second to one. Who's the one? Eli Manning. Oh, Eli Manning is two and zero versus Tom Brady in the most important games. He's two and one career against him. It's just the best. I mean, Ali beat Frazier two out of three times. You don't see people saying Frazier's the goat. Just saying. There there are um. There's a more nuanced way to break down why that's the case. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not going to dignify <sighs> this at all. We're we're gonna we're gonna move away from this. How dare you, sir? I'm not even. I don't even like Tom Brady like that much. I'm I'm not a Tom Brady guy. I don't hate him. I love Tom I'm not Brady. A Tom Brady hater. I love him. I bet you do. It's great. I got. I got but it. me, I was rooting against the the Buccaneers. I, I'm a Panthers fan, so I'm not going to root for anyone in the NFC South. No, so I, I wanted the Chiefs to win, and they, you know, they kind of. You know what I want to say? It really, like, if you were to give out the MVP of this game, the real MVP, it's the Bucks defense. Oh, for sure, the Bucks defense. They gave Mahomes fits. This was, I mean, also granted, uh, the Chiefs were missing 
their two starting tackles. So they're already at a disadvantage. The Bucks. Yeah, they were stuck using Mike Remmers, who I still blame as the biggest reason why the Panthers <laughs> lost the Super Bowl to the Broncos six years ago. Five five years ago, I should say. Mike Remmers. He was he won an Oscar that year for his performance as a turnstile <laughs> as Von Miller just, Von just Miller ran past him, him every time. Oh. And caused havoc in our backfield. Other than that, because Peyton Manning, I don't think anybody remembers, Peyton Manning was absolutely terrible. He was he had one of the worst quarterbacking performances in a Super Bowl victory ever. And it's the very last game he ever played. He's going in the Hall of Fame. He's he's a goat too. He's not Tom Brady, but he's he's a goat too. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. Panthers should have won that game. He's second in the family. Somehow have kept Von Miller in check. I think they would have won. And that was a terrible football game, objectively, too. I know I'm going tangential. We should probably focus on this game instead of my sour grapes over the other one. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Let me have let me have my whining. But this, yeah, this was uh, this also was not a very good football game to watch either because it just, you know, it, it kind of very slowly became not a great game. And I said to my wife before the fourth quarter, I said we should put we should put the mortgage on the Buccaneers because Tom Brady is not going to lose a 22 point lead in the Super Bowl. No, sir, he is not. We should. I truly believe we should have just put our old mortgage on there, and I don't know what the odds were. Probably would have just gotten a couple payments. It out was. Of it. Uh, hey, that's something, right? To win a couple at, payments at, off it. At one point, it was minus ten thousand. I think going into the fourth quarter for money line, the bucks. So minus ten thousand. So every ten thousand, you'd win a hundred bucks. <laughs> so what if I put, you know, let's let's say several hundred thousand dollars in there? We're talking about, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's like one payment. <laughs> You, yeah, you would have got. Yeah, you it's not got, worth it. It's not worth it. It it costs a lot to live in New Jersey. But uh, <laughs> I saw you on Twitter. You were uh, you were scoring this game as you uh, using the ten point must. Yes, I thought it would be a fun little thing to to just let's let's uh, let's shoehorn the ten point must system into football. Let's just see how it goes. At the end of each quarter, you go ten nine, ten eight, ten seven for the winner of the of the quarter. And you know, I think we had to score it the same way that you would being a judge where by and large, every round's going to be a ten, every quarter would end up being a 10, nine with, unless it got kind of out of, uh, out of control. It could be 10, eight or, you know, in some sort of bizarre 28 point quarter, maybe you call that a 10, seven. I think I gave every round uh, or every quarter of this game, a 10, nine. So we had a 40 to 36 win for the bucks. I gave 10, 10, eights in round in quarter two and quarter three. Mm, I think I think you're a little you're They're, a little too liberal with that. That sounds like the uh, dominance from the defense of the Bucks paired with the damage of two touchdowns in the second quarter. You don't you don't win points for defense. Defense is not part of the uh, criteria, sir. I'm going oh. to fundamentally disagree with you. They had interceptions too. Yeah, they, it's, it's effective offense, sir. It well no not in Virginia. We're so not in Virginia, sir. in Virginia says none of these things defense. are in Virginia. The game was in Florida. Uh, We're in New Jersey. It's closer to Virginia. It's it is sanctioned by the Florida government. No, not the, Athletic Commission. Mahomes, anyway, it's a stupid exercise that I just had fun with. So. Mahomes was getting crushed. The dude was on the run the whole time. There was his worst game I think he's ever played as a pro was tonight in the Super Bowl. Probably, yeah, absolutely. But I don't think that was necessarily his fault. Although I gotta say. He was driving me crazy when he would sit there and he would look like, you know, not sit there, but like he would move around, he'd run around for five minutes and then he'd look like he was just about to be set. And then he'd move around again. I'm like, dude, you you have to lose the ball. You have to get rid of it. I'm sorry. Throw it away. Do something. 
Right. Can't make a play every time. And then he's chucking the ball. And I, I understand this is this is kind of the way it works out when you don't have your line. But ugh, it was it was hard for me to watch and be like, come on, because I was actually rooting for the Chiefs a little bit. I wasn't. I was rooting for Tom Brady. Of course you would. Every time Tom Brady wins, Eli's stock goes up. I think we're done here. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Couchside Judges. We will be back again on Friday. We might have something special in store for you. We do have something special planned. Hopefully everything goes as we planned, but uh, stay tuned for that one and, and spread the word. We might have something really, really cool for you guys, and I, I hope you'll enjoy. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody.